Welcome back to Film School Sucked, everyone. This is Matt sitting here with Leah and Becca. Hi. Is this where, yep, there you yeah, go. Yeah, hi. Hi. Uh, so, welcome back, folks. This is a continuation of Coming Attractions. This time, we are reviewing the new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in... Boo. Hollywood. Um, <laughs> yeah, the quote-unquote ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. Every time I see that, I just think of that. Tyler the Creator meme. The, so that was a fucking lie. Because um, <laughs> it's Kill Bill. It's two movies. But yeah, this is the quote unquote ninth film from Quentin Tarantino. Sent in the year 1969, following actor Rick Dalton and his buddy Cliff Booth, who is his stunt double, as well as in the periphery, uh, Sharon Tate, as well as obviously the Manson stuff. And it just is a pseudo-fantasy, historical fiction, yada, 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 set during a specific place in Hollywood and kind of... It's Tarantino's take on Manson and old Hollywood, essentially. I don't know if we've talked about it in the past. Leah hates Tarantino. Mm -hmm. I have always had complicated feelings towards Tarantino. Becca is... Zero feelings? Yeah, zero feelings. So this was an interesting one going into. We might as well just hop into it. Initial thoughts, folks. Uh, Well, it's exactly pretty much what I expected from Tarantino. Again, it's not to like disregard his ability to make well-crafted films. However, I'm of the mind that talent should not negate your shitty personhood. (laughs) your poor decisions general lack of awareness of the world around you yeah nor should it give you the liberty to just jack off on people's screens for 10 movies but well i mean he's allowed to it just it's really the system that funds that right that encourages it the Um, fact that if a guy everyone listen if a guy says his favorite director is tarantino you run you run (laughs) Because there are red flags there because Tarantino's movies are just encapsulating this assumption that as a white man with talent and money, you can pretty much say and do whatever you want and you can create things that celebrate that same attitude. Especially if you're good at it. Yes. Because then you'll get rewarded for it. Because, I mean... I'm just going to jump into it. There's no argument that Tarantino isn't talented. That's not what this conversation is or will be moving forward in this episode. Because to say so, I think would be naive. I think it's obvious that especially with his early works, he pretty much jumped on the scene with two films in particular, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, that really changed the game, especially for independent cinema and opened up the doors for a lot of different creators. Since then, though, I think there needs to really be a reevaluation, like you said, of what has the actual value of his input been and why has it been seen as valuable? As far as the action, this specific film goes, what are your initial thoughts? I thought it was slow, as most of his movies tend to be. Uh, It was beautifully made, obviously. I think that aesthetically speaking... He has his vision down to the most minute of details and it comes across very beautifully, especially when you're working with, you know, the backdrop 
of old Hollywood and the neon and the coloration and everything that comes with that vision. Storyline-wise, I found it hard to disconnect from my own critiques of it, honestly. There wasn't really a lot that allowed me to embed myself, I guess, in the film. Mm-hmm. I was I kept being jerked back out by realizing how upsetting a lot of the connotations of the film were, the humor, the commentary. It ruins the overall experience mm-hmm. when you realize that the person making it isn't aware or is too arrogant to care about a lot of these boundaries that a lot of filmmakers are cognizant of. Yeah. So overall, I just didn't really enjoy the experience and I haven't been able to enjoy a Tarantino film in a long time. So it was pretty much what I expected. That's fair. Becca? I really enjoyed it. Probably because I don't give two shits about Tarantino. So, I mean, I know the stuff that's happened, but I just don't really care. Not about the stuff that's happened, but I just don't really care about, like, Tarantino as a filmmaker because I haven't been You're not engrossed attached. In it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not attached to the filmmaker. I enjoyed it, I think, partially because... I don't know if Matt and I have said this, but we want to move to LA and we want to get into film and we want to go into, like, the acting side of things and... There were certain parts with like Sharon Tate, how she was like watching herself on the on the screen and seeing like people react to that. And I just I felt like I could relate to her specifically and it sparked a more want to move to L.A. and to be in that. So I don't know. I think it's just because I have personal attachments to L.A. and because I want to move to L.A. so bad. I don't know. It was just expectedly solid. You know, like the performances I expected to be great. And they are. Yeah, that's just jumping into my take is I fall directly in between you guys. And I've actually, since I've seen that, I've really struggled to come to a concrete standing with it. Because I'll be honest, I really, really loved it on one hand. And then on the other hand, I'm troubled by a lot of it. And I'm troubled by a lot of the aspects outside of it. It's just, I'm, so I'm struggling in that this is the first time in a long time where I feel like Tarantino is not taking a previous injustice or shocking events and using them as either action set pieces or using them for shock or using them just to get a rise out of people. I feel like just specifically with this film, like I think of the Sharon Tate murders and how the treatment in this film, I do actually feel like he has a lot of pent up anger towards that event and the way he addressed that and the way he addressed Sharon Tate was one that was far more respectful than I expected. Mm. But then at the same time, there's her bare feet right up in the forefront and his foot finishes riding high. On the other hand, like you said, I (laughs) I have a deep love for just LA as an, from an aesthetic point of view, from the history of LA, old Hollywood, like I'm in love with, that era and it captured that it did capture the movie magic it captured the struggles of artists it captured a sense of fear of irrelevancy it just did a lot of actual emotional work that i have felt has lacked in almost all of his pieces Mm -hmm. and yet at the same time there's her feet right up there there's allusions to his own misgivings with the Me Too movement in regard to Uma Thurman. Like, there's so much stuff that I... 
I mean, disagree with yeah. at a core basis that it's like where do, I don't know where I fall in the movie, and it feels like every hour, every piece I read is swaying me somewhere different. It's not make or break it for me because I've never been a ride or die Tarantino fan. Obviously, as a teenager, watching Pulp Fiction was one of those first, you know, the quintessential. Yeah. I want to make movies. Yeah, it's, it's the like filmmaker oh, awakening. Right. It's, it's something other than like Bugs the life? usual. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's like it, it was the first. I don't actual, know the first thing that came to mind. No, I agree. It's one of those first actual kind of films that I think a lot of people watch. And like, oh, there's so many other ways you can make movies. Mine was Rear Window for the Rear Window too was one of them for me. Like for those watching a Hitchcock movie, watching a Tarantino movie, watching what have you. And there's a lot of the same tension with Tarantino as there has been with Hitchcock. And... Oh yes. I mean, yes. he's part of the old school male auteurs who have gotten away with a lot of shit because the expectation from audiences mm-hmm. that their vision can never be recreated or can never be remet. Well, and he has direct personal ties with it. Like, you can't watch any of his shit now, especially considering his own actions. Cause, and that's not to say that he sexually assaulted anyone, but his connections with Harvey Weinstein right. or who else? Or the fact that he did disregard the safety of women. He disregarded the safety of women and the way that women are treated on film in his movies. And he's is a Polanski trash. apologist and Yeah. And it's just like all this shit. But then at the same time, there is still value in his films and it's like mm-hmm. Tarantino it's different when it comes to a Polanski picture or a Kevin Spacey movie, mm-hmm. because those are people that have committed atrocious acts that in our society reach a moral standard that like unequivocally horrible people. And then you find eventually, the kind of, yes, they reach that point. Uh, eventually. Yes. Unfortunately, nowadays, especially enough, but yes. yes, but then you have a creator like Tarantino who has said awful things in the past has put people in danger but obviously hasn't reached that level of infamy. It's that weird, it's it's those instances in this current era where we're reevaluating who we put on a pedestal and who we don't, that it's like, what do we do with these people who fall in the middle? Right, and the problem with Tarantino and creators like Tarantino is that in a lot of ways, they pose to be more dangerous to the population as a whole than mm-hmm. even a Weinstein is. Because Weinstein is a predator and funds films and all this kind of stuff. When you have then directors who are buddy-buddy with characters like that Mm -hmm. and who create films that celebrate the attitudes held by that, it has more to do with culturally the expectations of what is appropriate and isn't. Not to say that that rises to the same level as actual violence, which is committed Mm -hmm. by the people who have been ousted by Me Too and will continue to be. But in a grander conversation about where we go as a society morally, Mm -hmm. how we perceive women, people of color, how we choose to treat them and who we celebrate and what their treatment of those mm-hmm. groups are has a more widespread effect yeah. because people love Tarantino and they want to watch his movies. And like I said, it's a red flag when guys like Tarantino movies, because more often than not, there is a level of complacency with a disregard or, or for safety. a lack of understanding. Right. 
Like, I think of, of people... Of the injustices. Like, it's the same, fans of Tarantino, fans of Rick and Morty, like, fans mm-hmm. of so many different... Breaking Bad. Like, mm-hmm. people are like, Breaking Bad's my favorite show. It's like, oh, why? It's a, because Walter White is a badass. It's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no. That's not why the show is good. No, exactly. It's like... You're the fan of these for the wrong reasons, and those wrong reasons are incredibly harmful in the long run and show a lot of your right. own personal. But I'd even say that the problem with Tarantino then is that unfortunately people are fans of it for the right reasons in Tarantino's mind, where mm. they're sharing in his humor and his arrogance in the culture that he's establishing in each mm-hmm. of his films and his taste perspective. Too. Exactly. And I think Again, that... he's an auteur. Like, yeah. that is what. His whole thing is he's old school, he's a cinephile, and his expression of that is fully bred from his own heart and his own brain, which is why there is such a cast of judgment on his films, because he's made it very clear that they are more personal than a lot of directors nowadays Mm -hmm. can claim, because directors now don't necessarily make films solely based on one perspective and vision that they hold and they hold throughout their career. They make films based on opportunity, based on fluctuation of interests and needs, often monetary. Yeah. The auteur system is outdated. And no doubt there. And there's a lot of reason for that because often it was the playground for abusive assholes who could make beautiful films, but got away with really terrible things. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. <laughs> and I think that pretty much outlines y- your and I's biggest issue with Tarantino, mm-hmm. for sure, as a whole. Well, my other biggest issue is that he makes fucking good movies. Oh, no shit. That's the yeah. problem. But so did so many other auteurs well, that were... You know, I'm just going to bring it up. Polanski. Assholes. Right. Created two of my favorite movies fucking ever. Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown. And those two films, almost unlike Tarantino... Tarantino films, obviously a lot of them have that seed, especially now that I'm getting older where I'm like, wow, I vehemently disagree with what you're trying to say there. Mm-hmm. Polanski's films, though, completely different story. I'm like, wow, those are statements and they're statements that's all true today, but they're also made by a fucking child molester. What the fuck? And I think Pol- that this film really brings forth those conversations mm-hmm. about the dying auteur, about the the heyday of that era about what it means to have evolved in to a space and a time where everything in that film is unacceptable now mm-hmm. the things that we saw the way that people acted treated one another conversed and not even, about and things. not even just on like on the set level or what the films are trying to say. Cause it's about Hollywood. Like yep. it's just every. Yeah. No, the way that the, that the yeah. sets are run. And then also just the way that the characters are as people. Yeah. They're racist. They're abusive towards women or they over sexualize them. Leo's character sways more conservatively. Mm-hmm. And then on the sets it's people are fighting. People are making like, underhanded deals about who gets what job and how and children are harmed children are being pushed around and it's a nightmare and it's not acceptable but the whole film is a love letter to what if that era never ended because as most people kind of accept and in film history the tate murders were the end of that era yeah and everything murders, following that. They were an end to not even just old Hollywood. They were just the end 
to the raging 60s, yeah. to this abundance of creativity. They were like the start of the cynicism and negativity that would yeah. come on, especially in the 70s, 80s, and now where we are today. Exactly. Like, they were such a crucial moment. And what does it mean to directly change that event? Starting out with Rick Dalton, who's played by the beloved Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. Rick Dalton. Rick fucking Dalton. Rick's story really centers on the fact that he's finding himself irrelevant in this new landscape. Yeah. He's being regulated to bit parts during pilot season on pretty much one-off TV series. His film career is essentially dead, at least in the U.S., and his long-running series in which he was the lead is ending. And for the most part, where we follow Rick is one day on the set of a TV show where he is playing the villain and his struggles, both outside of this one day with his overall career, his personal life, as well as just the day-to-day struggles of said actor Mm -hmm. in this environment. He's obviously an alcoholic. (laughs) Very clearly. Lots of whiskey sours. He's very self-centered, as many actors are. Yeah. He's haggard. He's very understanding of the industry. Yes, very haggard, very well-worn. And honestly, it's funny when he's in makeup as the villain character. I he think looks more like it looks more like what that his person personality would look like is, yeah. than his actual kind of cracked facade that we're normally seeing. His hair is horrible by the end of the movie. Oh, that kind of seventies, the sideburn with the yeah. It was like a mullet sideburn. Grody. That was something. Yeah. Well, yeah. As we see in the movie, he eventually does give in to who I think is his agent. Al Pacino's character. I don't think so. I think it's just someone who took an interest. Okay. Maybe he's vying to be his... Whatever. Something. He's trying to get him into the world of the spaghetti western and what have you, which we all know Tarantino has a fucking hard on for. (laughs) Thanks a lot. He's got a hard on for a lot of things and makes it abundantly clear when he has a hard on. But Rick's journey is trying to figure out where he's going to next. He's at a crossroads... Rick's character is only disappointing to me in that he is in a Tarantino film. (laughs) For the most part, because I think it is, it's a fun take, I think, for the most part, even though Rick's character is clearly very damaged Mm -hmm. and has major issues, the character is fun to watch because he is emotionally volatile and dramatic and he is playing off his counterpart in Booth very well, mm-hmm. which just kind of adds to the frenetic energy that you're yeah. constantly seeing. I think it was also interesting to see the actor play the actor play a character. Especially someone who's at the caliber of Leo. Like, right, because yeah. then the performance that he ends up giving in the little snippet that he's working on is phenomenal and really yeah. cool and fun to watch. Something that I really liked about the movie was how we didn't just see tiny clips of the movies we or the TV shows that he's on. We saw more of multiple scenes or mm-hmm. like longer bits. It wasn't just bits and pieces. And I really liked that. What I liked about that was, kind of goes back to what you were saying about the actor playing the actor playing the actor. That scene in particular, the one where he knocks it out of the park, is so different than those scenes where it is very hokey 60s acting. And it just shows all the different layers of Leo's performance in this. Mm-hmm. That's also another thing I want to get across in this movie. I do think a lot of these performers will deserve recognition come award season. Like, No, they did phenomenal It's some jobs. of the best work I've seen all year. Like, holy shit. 
I think my favorite sequence is it was that scene. It was the scene in the trailer, which was very funny, but also really heartbreaking after his just god awful take. Right. And he's just falling apart because, like, as an actor, I've been in that situation where it's just you're so fucking mad at yourself after you're able to do it all night. The night before, rehearse your lines, you're like, yeah, I fucking got it. And then you go in the next day and you just fucking bomb. I totally got that. Yeah. Like I said, teeters that balance between heartbreak and humor very very well. Mm-hmm. But I think the best scene, and it's the scene, honestly, that like might be one of my favorite Tarantino scenes out of all of I his I think films. I know what you're going to say. It's the scene where he's sitting outside on their lunch break mm-hmm. with um, the little girl. I forget her name. Butters. And, Julia Butters, yes. I think. I don't think that. I think that's the actress's name. Because she was going by her character name. She was going full That's method. Right. <laughs> like Trudy was the name of the character in the thing because we never learned her actually. Yeah, name. right. That scene is why I really enjoyed the movie so much was because we haven't really had that kind of a personal scene in a Tarantino film. Not that I can think of. At least the ones that I've seen. I, I still have a few gaps. But like, I don't know. It was so deeply personal. It was pretty blatant in what it was trying to say. But even though it was explicit, it was just done definitely in beautifully i thought i don't know i was really blown away by that moment i think it was well done there are certain sequences and certain character beats that you can play and they're always going to hit Mm -hmm. and the aging character having a frank conversation with who is eventually going to replace them exactly in the world is one of those moments that Mm -hmm. plays off really well in most films and it is underlined by the fact that DiCaprio does a phenomenal job and the actress, uh, Butters, does also an equally wonderful and light and funny job. And Tarantino's specific writing, because if anything, Tarantino does dialogue outstandingly, mm-hmm. very witty, very detailed. Mm-hmm. And that was on display in a way, like I said, I hadn't seen before in a way that was far more touching and sincere as opposed to just jib jab mm-hmm. jokes right and it was also very much in the moment i thought it was funny her little uh comment of how she was reading a biography on walt disney mm-hmm. and how she's like he's a genius like that's so of that era mm-hmm. and it goes to a wider conversation like you were saying of who we choose to set on those pedestals and when and mm-hmm. this kind of imaginary visage of that time as opposed to the real person but no, I really, really, really love that scene. And I loved Rick's journey throughout the entire movie. It's hilarious to see someone who's so in his own sphere mm-hmm. navigate the world because he really is oblivious to the real life aspects of everyone else. Like he's so oblivious to the fact that his friend Cliff is living in abject poverty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like He sees Cliff as an equal and as a friend and yet very easily is like hey uh fix my tv antenna fix a car what have you like you're still my handyman but that's just a natural inclination like and yet we're still rooting for him Mm -hmm. i don't know absolutely i think part of the charisma of his character is how equally oblivious he is to what we expect from celebrities Mm -hmm. he isn't like tate and polanski in this case where he's going to you know the Playboy Mansion, yeah. to dances, he's out not drinking, of his time. hanging out with friends. No, he's he's from the older generation. He's from the 50s, as one of the Manson murderers says. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have time to watch every fascist on TV in the <laughs> 50s. So he doesn't meld with the 
experience of being a celebrity that we expect even today where we're still kind of expecting our celebrities to be partying not really having normal lives where they drink alone where they practice their lines where they go to bed early it's nice to see that side of someone who is living in the hollywood hills and has Mm -hmm. all this money and has all this potential also defying those expectations of what being a successful actor looks like even Mm -hmm. one on the decline you still expect to be luxuriating in their wealth and in the potential and the opportunities that that brings equally it's interesting to have that played off with also buying into some of our expectations of celebrities them being neurotic overly dramatic easy to upset easy to make cry Mm -hmm. or aggravate incredibly volatile yeah right so he is that it feeds it i don't know it just captures the endearing quality of celebrities so well for both those reasons it's like Mm -hmm. we hate them but we love them right it makes it more personal where it has the points that you expect them to be kind of a shit person Mm -hmm. and he is kind of a shit person oh he's trash but a shit person who is endearing because he has these more listless qualities about him than in contrast with the celebrity culture of the 60s mm-hmm. or any time since then. Yeah, even though he's sort of a conservative <laughs> asshole no, who lives yeah. by himself in the it's hills. Just, I, and it's just he's sincere. It's, not it's It's a very sincere portrayal and it's a portrayal of a character who's pretty upfront about who he is. And he doesn't really keep a secret of how he's struggling. Any other thoughts about Rick? I think it was interesting to see the progression of Rick from kind of in a roundabout way, coming back to where he started in the beginning, Mm -hmm. where he didn't really have doubts about himself or his potentials until he had that conversation initially in the film, as far as we saw, at least. It was really that initial conversation with Al Pacino's character that rocked him, where he started realizing that maybe the roles that he was taking and yeah. the path that his career was on wasn't actually was one him. that would lead him to success. Yeah. It was the conversation that signified him to previous events. Right. Um, I think of like the flashback to his drunk driving and obviously the flashback to the roles he's taken or what have you. Uh, it just goes the cyclical nature of, I think that business of the highs and lows, mm-hmm. the highs feel like the absolute highs, the lows feel like the end of the fucking world. Mm-hmm. And how damaging that can really be to someone's psyche, no matter how good of a person you are. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite scenes with Rick and with Cliff was one of the, again, one of those smaller moments where they get together. So it's closer to the end of the film, sort of. It's like a three hour I think I know which one you're... Right. And after all of this drama, after all of this high and low of his career and the questioning of it all and his freakouts and his success and then his downfall in the end he comes back to his apartment with his pal and he watches himself on tv Mm -hmm. and that's a really big moment in terms of kind of expressing the wonder of having these opportunities at all regardless of where you fall in the spectrum or what you're doing in the film industry how little how big And it's the same thing that Sharon Tate does. She goes and she watches herself in the theater. He goes and he watches himself on TV because at the end of the day, you can't really believe that you reached the heights that you have, even though for her, that was the beginning of her career. That was going to be the trajectory towards infinite stardom, potential, 
And for him, this was one of the things that hours before, days before, he thought meant the end of his career. The fact that he ended up on a one-off yeah. episode of FBI meant that he was done. It's, it's but the, he still wants yeah. to watch it. He still wants to break it down with his friend. And they have conversations about shot choices and his acting choices. And it's a relatable moment regardless for anyone who's in the film industry at all, for anyone who's made a film or had a film kind of show bigger than you expected it to, even just kind of talking through it with seeing, friends. Seeing, seeing the result it, of your creative endeavors actually be fulfilled into anything legitimate, mm-hmm. 100%. And I think it even speaks outside of this sphere of creatives and filmmakers and actors and musicians, what have you. I think it just goes back to anyone who enjoys watching movies, any run-of-the-mill person, because it does show that, like, the people creating this stuff are creating it because they love it. Mm-hmm. Because deep down, they have those little moments, like just watching yourself on a TV show. It's so hokey, but it's mm-hmm. that quintessential magic mm-hmm. that really does live in the Hollywood mystique that kind of just... It shows that even watching an episode of TV like that just... Yeah, and he makes has, it worth it. He has an equitable amount of pride in watching that episode with his buddy as he did when he performed really well mm-hmm. earlier on in the day. Because even though this is an industry of radical highs and lows, things tend to kind of fall in the middle. Yeah. I mean, and like, it tends like to just of, be yeah. a wow, I'm getting to do what Look I how enjoy. Lucky I am. Yeah. And never really losing the wonder of that Mm -hmm. i think rick's story pairs obviously with the issues of irrelevancy with age Mm -hmm. crossroads what have you of that side of the story but it does feed into the title of once upon a time this fantasized version of the film industry of hollywood of movie stars in the hollywood hills and Mm -hmm. what have you and i think the ending of him silhouetted walking up the hill to Sharon's house and being welcomed by this new age of actors Mm -hmm. shows what could have been like a idealized version of what we could still have if we reach back to this era, which obviously has its implications as we've already Mm -hmm. stated, but it is. And it's up for debate. It is up for debate because there are good things that come out of it. And there are bad. And so there's a lot lot of bad, bad. but there's no denying that there is an innate magic to it all. Mm-hmm. And it's one that I think a lot of people forget, especially when they get into the industry. Mm-hmm. But it's those little moments where they find it again mm-hmm. that make it all worth it, no matter how small. Right. I mean, I we have friends who have worked on shows, like on Netflix and stuff, and like we'll post, look, I, my name is in the crew, or like when my hands were on Shrill. Like even though the it was just my hands, yeah. it was just my hands, it was the coolest thing that's ever happened to me up until this point because i hadn't experienced that so it's just it's whenever it happens to you you remember why you're doing it or you get or you get a compliment from a mentor like leah working with filmmakers that you've aspired to work with here in town or Mm -hmm. professors that you've always admired or Mm -hmm. and getting critique or advice from them or praises from them or us working with acting teachers that we really liked or me writing about film and getting the it's just 
or you get shown in a film festival yeah. or anything like that it's is a, such a big moment. Any win, no matter how small, feels so much bigger because of the aura surrounding the industry, the impossibility and otherworldliness of yeah. it all. That's also Absolutely. what keeps you sane, though, in this community. of like, Well, you need a win or you'll just die because especially relatable for creatives who are where we are, where most people end up being, where you're not working on million dollar movies Mm -hmm. with consistent paychecks, but you're just pushing through every single project, hunting down every single opportunity you possibly can and working so much harder than you ever really expected to. Because that's the other thing is that people really do expect for filmmaking and that whole industry to be luxurious, Mm -hmm. to be filled with tons of money and not a lot of work absolutely not true it does not matter how much you're getting paid you're still working your ass off if not more so than a lot of people yeah because it's you're working infinitely long days you give so much emotional energy to it sometimes you move away from your family for months at a time to work on projects if you're an actor even actors that you see getting paid millions and millions of dollars to be in shots are draining themselves and also put decades of work sometimes into getting there well i mean look at look at i know Leo. like yeah exactly look at how long he fucking worked the work that he did produce mm-hmm. without an ounce of credit for it from mm-hmm. like the one place you really need credit for that kind of performance and what it took for him to finally get it i i, th- I don't think anyone else could really play rick dalton the way he did and capture both those real world aspects he had to kill a bear he had to straight up sleep in a bear to get an Oscar. What a man, what a man, what a man. <laughs> Alternatively, though, what? while we've praised the trajectory of Dalton's character, he is still an asshole, A. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And B... He is playing into a very Tarantino-esque approach to handling the accusations against those around him. Yes. Yes. And that is important If anyone in this film embodies Tarantino, like if he saw himself in any of it, it's obviously Rick Dalton. Absolutely. The accusation does come up that Cliff killed his wife. They don't really shy away from really kind of spelling out that that accusation was probably true, though. Mm -hmm. Like, no, they state that there's no proof, but everyone knows it's true. Just like all the other lies that have always embedded Hollywood. And who is the only one to come to his rescue is his best friend. Just like Mm -hmm. you all know who we're talking about. Right. And then there's the other scene, which we've alluded to, where he, without consenting with her, throws... Trudy just Thank off you. his lap without talking to her about it. Mm-hmm. And obviously he means like, are you okay? I was just in the moment. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I always wear pads. Like just in case I get thrown around ca- by yeah. strange men. On it's like, sets. why does that have to be your thought process? That like, was the one time that I did get pulled out of the movie. Only one time. Yeah. No, I'm not even, movie? it's because I'm not a, like, I'm not a Tarantino person. I've seen maybe I am not a Tarantino two person. or yeah, but I'm not a film person. So I don't know any of this stuff. So like the only time that I, sorry, the only time that I really got pulled out of the movie was seeing that because I know that that's not okay. Even it like 
ignoring the fact that she's a kid first off but the fact that he just did it without her consent there are certain things like improvising that happens in film and happens in literally anything that has to do with acting all the time but when it's endangering your scene partner or anyone yeah if it if it endangers anyone on set then it's not okay Mm -hmm. and no matter how great of a scene that is if they didn't consent to it it's not Mm -hmm. okay and the fact that the little girl was like oh it's fine like i always do like i always wear knee pads in case this happens like no like you shouldn't have to even think about that and it was just that was the one like one of the times i'm sure there were other times but that was the one that really stuck out in my head yeah i i also think it's such a it's such a choice. It's such an obvious choice to have that entire sequence in there. Mm-hmm. Specifically to say that he threw her down without consent. Specifically to outline that Trudy didn't know about it, but was prepared anyway. Oh, it's so obvious what he's alluding to. Yeah. I don't... I'm assuming you're all aware, but I think it was about a year ago, maybe more. But um, it came to light that Tarantino deliberately put Uma Thurman's life at risk during mm-hmm. a risky stunt. I think it was Kill Bill Volume 2. And She ended up in the hospital. She ended up at the hospital. She basically ousted him mm-hmm. to the press about it, saying that it wasn't okay. His response was less than stellar. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> yeah. But it's obvious that this scene is alluding to that and those types of incidents. And it's a it comes across as an excuse that mm-hmm. if you're going to be in these kinds of movies, if you're going to be in the film industry in general, be prepared to do whatever it takes to get the shot, to get the scene, to get whatever the director needs for the best possible product. And it's like, you don't need to do that without... Like, it'd be one thing if they deliberately talked about it. Mm-hmm. It would be a non-fucking issue... But it's the fact that people do it, people, men do it, especially, without the consent of their cast members, especially the consent of their female cast members. Or their child female cast well, members. Let alone, That's yeah. the other thing, is that it's such, it really brings you out because you just had this tender moment between these two mm-hmm. individuals where there was a connection. It seemed like he cared about her, and really what that's just illustrating is that it really doesn't matter what it seems like on the surface in terms of what men (laughs) sorry guys uh say (laughs) it's the actions that speak louder so even though you had this really beautiful tender moment that was a a centerpiece to the film Mm -hmm. it does not matter because two scenes later he throws a little girl on the ground just hoping she doesn't get hurt well and i think it also goes to the duality of a lot of tarantino which is like on one hand he makes films that really do embody powerful strong women and stories about powerful strong women i think of kill bill and i think of jackie brown and i think of other films as well Mm -hmm. and i think there's a reason a lot of women too are attracted to these films for that exact reason and i think tarantino himself in the same way in his relation to race as with gender views himself as an ally but it's (laughs) it's the obliviousness and the lack of like critical fucking thinking that's like no you can't be an ally and say the N-word. You can't be an ally and just put people's lives at risk. Tarantino you know? and his films really do encompass, again, that actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. You can't be 
an ally and do all of this shit. Because, yes, he makes strong female characters who have a lot of violence done to them on screen. Yes. So while you have a character who's well-developed and interesting to watch, the pinnacle of their characterization and often their motivation for anything is violence that had Mm -hmm. previously been done to them and then witnessing violence against them at every possible turn of events. Yes. So in the end, it doesn't matter how badass your lady is if she's getting slammed around, sexually assaulted, degraded, because that just shows a lot more about Tarantino as Mm -hmm. a person in terms of lauding strong, powerful women only for the sake to fulfill his fetish. Right. Well, for the desire to dominate Mm -hmm. said powerful, independent women. Oh yeah. Which is and you know what I think. To witness. I think there is a place for his outlandish violence, not specifically the violence towards women. That's not what I'm saying. I think just his brand of outlandish graphic violence mm-hmm. and outlandish vi- graphic violence committed by women as retribution. I think that's cathartic. I think there is a place for a lot of that, and I think there is a taste for that. Mm-hmm. But then it does take a whole different shade in so many of those scenes, like you're saying. Yeah, it's just you can't do both. No, and. You can always, again, you can always tell when Tarantino has a hard-on. Tarantino gets a hard-on when female characters are harmed, degraded, dominated, regardless of how strong and powerful and interesting and well-developed they are. Regardless of how much violence they inflict. He doesn't have a hard-on when guys are getting kicked around. No. But he does when women are getting... Maybe he does. Maybe he does. (laughs) But he definitely does when women are getting blowtorched. Yes. Having their heads slammed in yes. because it then takes a turn, which is not really about Rick Dalton necessarily, but in terms of the Manson murderers death scenes, there's mm-hmm. significantly more attention paid to the gruesome murder of the two women in that case. As opposed the to the one man. Yeah. So that's why I don't buy his shit and never really have, but Yeah, that scene was particularly interesting. Another thing about that whole relationship was a very small comment that made me think a lot more than I necessarily believe it was meant to, which was at the end of Rick's conversation with the little girl, she asked him something along the lines about what it feels like to be a has-been, essentially. And he says you'll know in 15 years to an eight-year-old girl, which you do the math means that this little girl is going to be over and done with in the industry at age 23, which is generally how it works. And it was just another one of those moments where, wow, you created such an interesting female character. She's so smart. She's witty. She's not putting up with this older man's bullshit. She's giving him perspective. Mm Mm-hmm he seems to respect her. And yet one of the things that comes out of this older man's mouth to an eight year old girl is that her value as an actress is done when she's 23 years old. Not to mention the use of ridiculous pet names for this little girl. Right. And it would have been interesting to see as being flipped on its head as being challenged, but it wasn't because it's Tarantino. He doesn't want to challenge that stuff. He wants it to come back. Mm -hmm. He wants it to be okay. 
This is his love letter to that era. Why can't men be heroes and why can't women be pretty? Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Cliff Booth, as portrayed by Brad Pitt. He's the washed up stuntman slash handyman for Rick. He's been accused of his wife's murder and has pretty much, his career's pretty much at an end. And he's also coming to terms with that. His journey really focuses on being a bit of a drifter, sort of a Lebowski character in this movie. Mm. He has the most firsthand interaction with the Manson family, going all the way out to the ranch. And um, most of his story is just his kind of floatiness mm-hmm. in this landscape from the point of view of someone who's almost halfway in the industry, half not. Halfway completely against the industry in a lot of ways with yeah. like being attracted to this hippie lifestyle mm-hmm. this he's very radar. for mm-hmm. sure he's living behind a uh, drive-in movie theater and a little trailer hangs out every couple of nights with rick at his house watching tv and that's about it that's cliff's life and there's not much else outside of it and he doesn't really want much outside of it cliff's character is interesting in that it's referenced a lot that he's like too pretty to be just mm-hmm. like a stunt double kind of a sense of interest confusion when people find out that he's just kind of a driver yeah considering that he's this very attractive fairly charismatic when he speaks guy cliff's cliff has the aura of someone who never lived up to their potential and doesn't really care that they yeah. didn't because he is an attractive formerly successful person who throughout the entirety of the film, it's alluded to that he maybe should have been the star. Maybe he should have Mm -hmm. reached the heights that his friend had. And he doesn't care. He doesn't even care to respond to those comments and seems so perfectly content with the way his life is going. Even after they have moved to Italy. Things kind of fall apart. He finds out that essentially he's no longer going to be employed. He takes it all pretty much in stride. Mm-hmm. Doesn't if, really if seem anything, to care. If anything, he's like kind of excited by the notion. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's to hide the fact that he's scared of it. But like, I mean, the fact that he ends it getting fucked up by drinking and then smoking the acid dip cigarette and just letting loose. It seems like it's almost a celebration. It's like the era is over and I can finally move on past this industry of judgment towards me, towards my past, and I can finally move on. I think Cliff embodies this era's and Tarantino's obsession with that kind of Western male. Mm-hmm. Loner. Hero type, the loner, the man with no name. Because although he's a renegade, although he's someone who's shunned by normal society, he still has a quote-unquote book of ethics Mm -hmm. for himself. He's not going to sleep with a teenager, not because it's inherently wrong, but because society says it's wrong, Mm -hmm. and he's going to go to jail for it, and he cares about self-preservation. And he doesn't want these young hippies taking advantage of an old-timer. He has his dog that he cares about. He's a very simple man. Mm -hmm. It's very charismatic. Mm -hmm. It's doubly charismatic because it's played by brad pitt perfectly he's so fucking funny in the role he's so fucking hot yes god damn it um because you're seeing this guy who really should not be that attractive he has no money he has no prospects he's kind of a jerk he just is like obsessed with his dude friend who's an asshole yeah 
but that's probably murdered his wife, but he's so goddamn hot that it's like, what the fuck? And it is that whole loner, mysterious, wandering man. He's a weird blend of the big Lebowski and like every, but Anza. uh, Yeah. Essentially. (laughs) Or like the man with no name. Like he's just, he's his own breed, but he embodies so many other characteristics, both good and bad. Mostly bad though. When you actually start, criticizing well it, that's the thing about it is thing. that the facade of it all is so engaging yeah it's brad pitt who's throwing up peace signs to hippies and just kind of listening to his crying friend babylon Taking without fucking saying anything gorgeous drives through very fantasized picturesque neon la like oh yeah, my god hanging it was out with so fucking pretty he just he embodied that facade mm-hmm. but it's you actually start digging and it's bullshit yeah it's He's wanting to sleep with underage girls. He straight up murdered his wife. No matter Mm -hmm. how awful she might have been, Mm -hmm. he probably murdered his wife. More likely than not. He murdered his wife. This is a Tarantino movie. He murdered his wife. There's no real question about it. She didn't fall off the boat. He murdered her. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows it. Mm -hmm. But no one's doing anything about it. Yeah. He's getting in fights for no reason. He's winning them, which is why it's engaging and interesting. But at the he's same time, he's picking fights. He's nuts. He's psychotic. Yeah. The type of violence he carries out at the end of the film, as cathartic and honestly occasionally funny as it was, it's unfucking real. I've I never covered seen that. my eyes. I've never seen that level of violence in a Tarantino movie, and that's fucking insane. I straight up covered my eyes for most of that sequence. Yeah. It where becomes... he's bashing the head oh into the Like, I can't... Same with when fucking Dalton blowtorched a girl. It's a lot, dude. And at the same time, this is in no way sympathizing with literal murderers. No, no. Because, like... Murderers. They're yes. murderers. They're straight up fucking murderers. Right. It's just... No one wins in this situation. Sometimes... There is more than one bad guy. Yeah. And sometimes the bad guy looks like the hero. Is essentially what his whole character is. Again, I don't necessarily think that was Tarantino's vision. No, well, the thing is that is I do think it's Tarantino's vision. It's just I think where he ends up on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. It's I read this really, really good article. I think it was on Nerdist. Mm -hmm. And it was about how the boat scene Mm-hmm. is the most critical scene in the entire movie mm-hmm. and how you read it is how you're going to interpret the film mm-hmm. if you read it as he didn't do it mm-hmm. these are heroes mm-hmm. and what they do is they heroically stop one of those brutal and savage murders in the history of the united states and hollywood mm-hmm. if you don't and you read it as he did murder her it's just Psychopath. one of the most violent and insane acts of violence in self-defense, but completely overboard and signaling com- a complete unhinged level of psychosis. Like That's the thing, though, is that I think that's why... It's really good, by it's the way. Not, it's not quite Tarantino's vision the way at least I see it, and I think most people see it, where if you do interpret it as he didn't do it, you do interpret it as these are heroes still an unnecessary amount of violence that signals a level of amorality that in my mind negates your ability to be a hero. If you're slamming someone's head into 
various surfaces so many times and so hard and for such an extended amount of that time unrecognizable. Yeah. there's something I, else going on there yeah i don't know if it's full-on amorality because i think there's a level of anger behind that act and there's a satisfaction in seeing those kind of people punished mm -hmm. and there's a satisfaction that i saw in the viewing mm -hmm. from members of the audience there was cheering there was laughing and on my end, it was an uncomfortable, like, laughing at the beginning kind of made sense. Because mm -hmm. a lot of that violence was pretty funny and satisfying. <laughs> but like you say, it then reaches a level of there's something else going on here beyond revenge. Mm -hmm. To me, again, the overarching story that's being told, one of them, is essentially posing the question of, like, what if nothing of the past 50 years ever happened? What if this era was allowed to continue? What if we still made films the way we used to? What if the same kind of people were in power? What if Me Too never happened? Mm -hmm. And I think that is where the rage, regardless of where you fall in terms of seeing who these, whether they're heroes or villains, yeah. really becomes a question. Because what you're seeing is a level of rage against the people who took that away. Not so much about the catharsis of seeing the people who murdered other people committed this horrible violent act there's a level of catharsis in seeing them punished yeah they're not being punished for just that though they're being no. punished yes. for taking away yes. yes what tarantino yes wishes still exist can we get can we just get into sharon tate and that whole thing because that's exactly <laughs> where i'm led to in my two readings of whether I like it or not. Mm -hmm. It's that reading where I tend to go towards the negative side. And uh, I'm just going to hop into it. Okay. I 100% agree with you. I think the Sharon Tate aspect, there's obviously an element of anger towards those acts. And there's an anger that that specific person was lost. And mm -hmm. I think you see that in Margot Robbie's performance, which is mm -hmm. out fucking standing. Right. Not only does she look just like Sharon Tate, but the sequences in which we see her, and I've seen a lot of people bored by these sequences, feeling that they're useless, that they didn't provide anything to the overall film, which I find absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. No. Those sequences, for me, felt very lovingly crafted. Mm -hmm. Crafted in a way that is like, look at this soul this mm -hmm. spirit that was taken away from us. Mm -hmm. That scene where she's in the fucking theater, it's tragic, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so... Because for all we know, she probably fucking did that. Because mm -hmm. I would do that. Mm -hmm. I would straight up go and do that. But then it gets into an even wider reading of why Tarantino's angry. Mm -hmm. It does get into the beyond of, why are you complicating my picture-perfect postcard view of the past mm -hmm. and of this system? And of this thing that I love so much. And I get that so much. Mm -hmm. I love old Hollywood. I love the aesthetic. My favorite films are old Hollywood. But you can't look back on these movies, that era, with a clean slate because that's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. You have to challenge those actions, those films, the things you love, or else it's just going to continue a system in which people are hurt. Mm -hmm. Or in which it's telling stories in which people are hurt. Mm -hmm. And that's wrong. Yeah. No matter how beautiful and fantastical and romantic of a vision it is, it's hollow mm -hmm. if you're not actually doing the reading 
that's where I struggle with the movie as a whole is because I do really enjoy it and I think I can enjoy it but still be highly critical of what it's actually saying does that make sense yeah it does do so many things right but it does an equal amount of things wrong like we said about Tarantino, there's an obliviousness. Mm-hmm. I like to call it an arrogance because I refuse to believe someone who loves films this much and loves the industry this much is really lacking that level of awareness mm-hmm. about what he is saying and what he is doing. Or humility or just basic fucking empathy for other people. Mm-hmm. It's an inherent selfishness, to be perfectly honest. Absolutely. And it's why the auteurs are dying, because we're done with selfish movies about selfish men. And it goes even beyond just the auteur thing. It's just a gatekeeping. The industry. The industry. The level of gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. It's like, you have to follow these rules because this shit is sacred. Mm -hmm. No. The industry is absolutely not sacred. The industry is a cesspool and always has been and continues to be. The problem is... it. (laughs) produces stuff that matters a lot to people yeah definitely but so do so did religions no yeah yeah so and we can still look back on those critically at least some of us and that's getting better like Mm -hmm. you look at so many branches of christianity obviously it's still fucked fuck Mm -hmm. the catholic church (laughs) specifically in our sphere um but like at the same time like you look at a lot of pastors who are expanding their ranks to people of multiple backgrounds, Mm -hmm. gender, race, what have you, um, preaching a gospel of universal love Mm -hmm. and changing and acknowledging the sins of their past. Right. The same can be said, and I mean can be said, like there's a potential to be said about filmmaking in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Well, the people who are imbued in the industry, to a point. It's not everyone in the industry. Plenty of people outside of the industry itself who are beholden to this. But in a lot of ways, classic filmmaking, what we classically understand as phenomenal filmmaking, as the the shit cinephiles just eat up, yeah. is like a religion. It's, yeah. it's a storytelling of our whole era the same way that books have been and art has mm-hmm. been. We celebrate it so much that we sometimes can't bring ourselves to look past it and see it as a facade or a consequence or being in spite of a lot of terrible things. And a, unlike a lot of those other formats, especially like reading, film starts out and film film viewership starts out so fucking young it just becomes so beyond personal like you said it does become a religion like you are from the get-go raised to love movies Mm -hmm. at least i think most people are not everyone that keeps it lifelong but i think there's that's where it starts i mean it's something that people generally fall back on for sure as comfort like everyone's got their favorite movie everyone's got favorite tv show whatever and it was lauded, especially, I mean, we can only really speak to the experience of the United States. I mean, we have a historical background, mm-hmm. but the U.S. fucking loves movies and yeah. builds our whole culture and society around things like movies. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, this is kind of the rage fit of the man who doesn't want to see the truth in response to things like Me Too, in response to mm-hmm. things like Time's Up. Well, and I think... And once again, none of this is 
reinforcing or legitimizing the actions done by the real life fucking Manson family. No. The scene <laughs> right before they decide to go after Cliff's house and they're talking about let's kill the people who taught us to kill. It's done. It's very well written mm-hmm. and deliberately written to make these kids look like shallow assholes who are entitled and were given a world in which they were able to challenge it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same boomer mindset to vilify the younger generation who challenges the establishment. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking ridiculous to see someone like Tarantino, whose entire fucking career roots itself in being a disruptor mm-hmm. and being someone who challenges the overall filmmaking system on an economic, creative, what have you level, become the boomer, become the Rick Dalton. It always happens. No, it always happens. Yeah, always happens. And it would be one thing if many of these scenes were played out with an ounce of self-awareness. Like you Mm -hmm. said with the sequence of the little girl, if that moment was challenged Mm -hmm. and he was called out for that, completely different movie. But it is the unawareness, the obliviousness, the arrogance that no it's the mysterious western heroes that were right it's the innocent beauties that are being lost to Mm -hmm. hippies the Mm -hmm. youth the radical left like it's interesting too because the entire sequence surrounding the potential of the tape murders essentially settles itself before any ounce of violence is taken because the moment those kids decide to go to rick dalton's house the 60s are saved Mm mm-hmm because the Tate family isn't murdered. The 50s era fascists on TV are murdered or had the potential to be murdered. So it really is kind of showing his cards mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways where if those people have been murdered, that is murdering the generation that preceded the era that's trying to be preserved. Mm-hmm. It's preceding the 60s. It's preceding that whole well, and it's and it's saving concept. It's saving all the right people of that generation, mm-hmm. the bombshell beauties, and the, and not not to simplify Sharon Tate to that. No, but I mean, in the mind of you, the well, auteur. you look at a well in the mind of the auteur, and you look at a lot of the critiques, I guess, and the press surrounding the loss of Sharon Tate. It wasn't the loss of an artist who was lost of an innocent beauty and a mother, mm-hmm. you know, which Fair, e- equally but tragic, but it's also like, she's a three dimensional person with a lot more going for her. And not a lot to mention about her. all the bohemian artists who were looped in with Roman Polanski. And mm-hmm. I get where Tarantino's coming from on some levels as someone who does love the aesthetics of the, this era, love a lot of the art that came out of this era and finds a romance in it all. And you can. You 100% can. There's no yeah. problem with that. It's There is no single point in history anywhere that you can claim for its beauty, romanticize it, and have it not be burdened by the realities of the era. We could watch fucking Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and have a conversation about how ridiculous it is that... Yeah more conversations weren't being had about the realities of an era like that. Even even a movie that's wrapped in magic. Literal magic. Well, and that's the, that's the scapegoat. Right. And that's the scapegoat for this movie is, oh, it doesn't matter. It's a fantasy. It's once upon a time in Hollywood. It's not actual Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's all wish fulfillment, mm-hmm. which is what Tarantino is. 
granted, a lot of it is really solid characterization, but it's still characterization that is embodied in a wish fulfillment fantasy. And in the context of the real world, it doesn't jive, buddy. No. And also, I think... That's not it, Chief. (laughs) I also think that it is a rarity for people to really fully share Tarantino's perspective of what should have been. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because do I think innocent people should have been murdered? Absolutely not. That's ridiculous. But that's not the conversation he's even having. He's not. Once again, like you said with the violence, the whole film is having a conversation beyond the Manson family murders. Mm -hmm. It's just using that as an inciting incident for other problems that Tarantino has with this generation. As much as I love the movie, the instant I walked out, I thought of that Simpson meme of uh, old man yells at cloud. And it's hard because I really do think it's Tarantino trying to confront the realities of his current situation, Mm -hmm. the realities of the last few years. But what we see and what he produced and what he's actually saying is basically foot stomping around, wishing it never happened. Not taking responsibility for your actions or the actions of people close to you. Not looking back at your career, the career of others, all the mistakes you have made, all of the missteps you have made, even looking past that to the films and those creators that you put on a pedestal that you base your entire career off of. His whole career is based on remixing the films and filmmakers that he loves. Yeah. And all this film is really saying is I'm too old for this shit because I wish that I could just keep making the movies that I want to make. And I don't want to have these conversations about what may or may not have happened. I don't want to have these conversations about what my friends did. That's not my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to make things that are easy for people to consume Why should I have to make something that's going to make a social commentary? That's not what I'm about. I'm about Mm -hmm. these old movies. And hell, they were doing the exact same shit that my friends are doing this day and age. Mm -hmm. But we don't have to have that conversation either. Yeah. I think Polanski's small but very obvious presence is one of the more resounding displays of that. Which I, I, I don't know how someone can be that arrogant and oblivious i mean you can't have this movie without polanski like no because he's so integral to those events but um but the way you show polanski especially the way that tarantino is a polanski apologist yes you if you if you all haven't heard that in i think it was on howard stern if not in other it was in the early 2000s but it was like uh essentially they asked for it Mm -hmm. the children the children asked the for children it. The children asked for it. And he was shamed into apologizing, as a lot of people who say shit like that are. Mm-hmm. But, again, this is just another moment of, like, so all the shit you've been saying, which we already knew was bullshit, all the, I didn't know, or I should have said something, or they're good people, bullshit of all your friends, the Weinsteins, your heroes, the Polanskis, yeah. is bullshit. Because you make a movie where Roman Polanski is just a quiet, misunderstood bohemian artist who's away a lot from his lovely wife who's buying him books. 
we're not talking about the fact that he's a serial molester and rapist because that's not what the film's about the film's a fantasy where maybe Polanski isn't even doing that stuff. Not in this world. Because we don't need to confront that stuff. It is showing someone who can't cope with the way things are changing. And when the way things are changing means lessening sexual assault, respecting women and people of color. And children. And children. Then it goes beyond just being a crotchety old dude. Yeah. You're an enabler. Well, folks, I think that went about as well as we could have expected. No Actually, fits, better. Fits. It was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Love to hear what you all think. Obviously, it's a pretty big film for this year. It's one of the highest grossing opening weekends for an original film of the year thus far. And it is inciting a lot of really important conversations. And whether you agree with the film or not, I think we can all agree it's conversations that need to be had. But that's that, folks. That's all we got. Thank you for listening. Look out for our other episodes coming out every Sunday. Be sure to follow us on all the social medias. You know where. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. Be sure to subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. And please leave us a review, some feedback. We'd love it. Closing remarks, folks. I enjoyed it. Go see it if you want. (laughs) I would challenge anyone who's going to watch this movie or any of Tarantino's movies to be very critical about the implications of his films. One One of the benefits of watching an auteur is that you can judge them based on what they decide to make. Yeah, you don't have to separate the art from the artist. No, because that's their whole point. The dog was good. Yes, the dog was nice. The dog was good. We liked, we liked the dog. Solid dog. Thanks, folks. Bye-bye. a gender fluid dog in a tarantino movie all dogs are bisexual all dogs go to heaven (laughs) (laughs) that's a movie let me tell you something you want to watch a movie all dogs go to heaven all dogs go to heaven too i always enjoyed all dogs go to heaven the christmas carol did you ever watch that one? i have not but it's like it's like a tv is this the winter of film school sucked we're just going to watch these three movies. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I do remember watching All Dogs Go to Heaven at a Christmas party when I was like maybe five. The movie's bizarre, man. The yeah. The premise is fucking weird. He gets murdered by mobster dogs. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think the devil's in it, right? Like as Yeah. A, as a and there's like a poodle angel that he like wants to sleep with. Yeah. And... Okay, it's time to start But he has to talking. save the little girl from the oh, mob dogs. <laughs> Okay, so Lear and I, King Lear and I, (laughs) two very different things. Okay, Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio, okay, okay. Rick Dalton, as played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Stop. <laughs> I'm just not going to say it. I'm I'm gonna, say no, I'm going to say it. Sure. I'm going to say it. Okay. No, I'm going to fuck it up just because I'm thinking about it too hard. Okay. Okay. <laughs>